You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. If you had to take a guess at how many religions there are in the world today, we're going to have you do this by vote of maybe raise your hand, all right? I'll give you some options. How many of you say that there are more than 10,000 religions in the world today? Let me see your hands. You're not even close. It's way less than that. I just wanted to set you up on the first question. Make it seem so big that you're like, oh, that sounds right. Yeah. This is how we do media today, by the way. How many of you would say there's more than 5,000, though? Now you're nervous. Go on. You can guess again if you're wrong the first time. More than 5,000? No, not quite. How many of you would say more than 4,000? I feel like we're buying a car here. Anybody? There are roughly 4,200 religions in the world today. Now, that counts um, philosophies and uh, anything you would call maybe a worldview that would also include agnostics and atheists, kind of throwing them in together, and roughly 4,200. Isn't that crazy? Just to give you an idea, you've got Christianity, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, Sikhism, Mormon, Jehovah's Witness, Juke, Spiritism, Judaism, Baha'i, I'm probably saying something's wrong, Janaism, Shinto, Kaldai, Zoroastrianism, Tenrikyo, Neo-Paganism, Unitarian Universalism, non-religious, I've got um, 4,180 something to go. It's going to take a while, right? So it brings up a great question. It makes you wonder, what makes Jesus so unique? With all these different religions and all these different options, all these different ideas, what makes Jesus unique? And how can we know with any certainty who he really is, what he's really like, and why it's important? Well, for those of you who are visiting with us today or maybe watching online, we're really glad you're here with us. Uh, We've been going to the book of Luke. We started in December. And at any point in time you come and visit with us, you'll find you can totally get where we are, even if you've missed everything leading up to. If there's ever anything relevant, it'll be like one of those old Lost shows. I don't know if you guys remember Lost, where it's like, previously on Lost. Yeah, that's what I'll do for you. So um, you won't be lost. Anyway, so what we're going to do is pick up where we left off in Luke chapter 6, verse 1. And today gets into a heavy religious topic, one that is hard for us to understand, but I'll do my best to make sense for you today. Luke chapter 6. Verse one, I'm in the NIV. If you don't know how to use a Bible or don't have a Bible app, just watch up here. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields and his disciples began to pick some heads of grain, rub them in their hands and eat the kernels. Some of the Pharisees asked, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? All right, so there's three major things that I need to cover for you here in this first section. I need to cover Sabbath, Pharisees, and uh, something else. Well, it's important. We'll get to it. (laughs) I guess it's what's going on here. So the first thing is Sabbath. Sabbath is the day set aside, don't miss this, by God for the Israelites to worship and have a day of rest. Now, we see the principle of this in the very first chapter in Genesis. Look, I am not getting into a discussion or anything about how old creation is, the universe and the earth and any of that. But in Genesis chapter one, God created for six days and on the seventh day it said he did what? Rested. Now if you follow that pattern, Adam and Eve didn't show up on the scene until when? Day six. Some of you are like, "Mm -hmm." exactly. 
day six. So basically, they show up on the scene, whatever exactly that means, and God says, okay, guys, isn't this cool? Look, there's rivers here going in the garden. There's some animals. You guys are naked and unashamed. It says it over and over and over again. And oh, by the way, we're not going to do anything tomorrow. What, what do you mean we're not going to We just got here. Yes, I know. But see, I've been here all this time before you, and I've been doing all the work, and now I'm done. And so we're just going to take a day and remember that I did all the work. So that principle carried forward. So when God rescued the Israelites out of Egypt and he gave them first the Ten Commandments, if you've heard of that, coming down from Moses, he had the three tablets with five each on it and one of them drops and that was from a movie. Nobody? Like five of you saw that movie. Anyway, so he has the Ten Commandments in, I believe it's the fourth commandment. It's the commandment where everything shifts. See, the first three are about God. Remember him, keep his name holy. Don't blaspheme or make light of vain his name. But then you get to four and it's, and keep the Sabbath holy. And then the rest of them are like, don't commit adultery, don't lie, don't covet, don't steal. It's all those things that have to do with how we interact with each other. And so it pivots, basically those first few are about us and God, and then it's about us and each other. In that verse, keep the Sabbath holy is the pivot point. And there's only a, maybe a handful or so of other texts in the Old Testament that kind of give us insight as to what does it mean to take the Sabbath and make it holy. And the reason that the Israelites made the Sabbath the seventh day or Saturday is because Jesus created and then made the Sabbath day holy. He did that. So that's huge for understanding the context here. But there's more to it. See, the Pharisees are one of the major religious leaders of the day. There's Pharisees and Sadducees, and, and the list goes on and on. Uh, we learned about some more, kind of the Essenes and some others, as we discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls. And the whole point, though, is these religious groups had gotten together. And over many hundreds of years, going back as early as 400-something years before in Ezra, the book of Ezra in the Bible, they started asking hard questions. See, whenever you come to a rule or a law, don't you start to ask loophole questions. What does it mean to keep the Sabbath holy? Well, as they started answering that question over many centuries, and then each generation passing down to the next one what they believed, but then culture would shift a little, they'd be in a new captivity with a new group ruling over them, they'd create more rules and more rules and more rules and more rules. And there was something called the Mishnah that was kind of passed down orally for generations until it was finally collected together. I think it was in the third century AD, but it had been going on for a long time. And those rules were in intended to clarify what you could and couldn't do on the Sabbath. So in this very story here, what's happening is this. In Deuteronomy 23, literally God said you couldn't take a sickle or kind of a hooked uh, machete, I don't know what to call it, and you couldn't glean in the field on Sabbath, meaning you couldn't take your machete out and swing it because that would be work. However, by the time the... Uh, the Mishnah was started to gather, what they said is you could take your hands and rub them together, except for that that would be considered threshing. So if you were to pick it and somehow chew it or get the kernel out some other way, according to Deuteronomy, you'd be okay. But the moment you started doing this, it was considered work according to the Pharisees and the religious teachers. Do you get the tension? So what we have is a group of religious people who added a rule to God's rule to bring clarity to our lives, but did it really bring clarity? Okay, see, if you're more conservative than God, you need to scoot to the left. 
And if you are more liberal than God, then you need to dance to the right. The point is never that we go outside of God's rules or laws for our life. The goal is always that we submit and surrender to him. But what's really happening now is these Pharisees really don't like Jesus. And they keep trying to trap him in something. And so they think they found a spot where they can trap him because his disciples aren't following the rules. But it's not God's laws, it's man-made laws. And as is typical in the day, the teacher was held accountable for his students. So even though it wasn't Jesus doing it, it was the disciples, Jesus is the one who had to have failed them. So look at verse 3. Jesus answers them. Have you never read? Don't you hate that question? Like when your parents asked you. Hey, um, did you not see that wrapper on the floor? When you walked in the room? Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. And then Jesus said to them, the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. Well, this is another situation. Go back with me, if you will. We're like, I don't understand what in the world's going on. Let me help you out here. So 1 Samuel chapter 21, let me set the scene. We've got some characters just to keep them in your brain. There's a guy, and he's the first king over Israel, and his name is Saul. Except Saul didn't stay faithful to God. He turned away from God, and God said, that's it. I'm done with Saul. I'm going to anoint a new king. And God chose a, a young man named David. And the spirit of God was with David. So David slays Goliath, but then he goes on, and they start singing songs about him because David slays his tens of thousands while Saul only his thousands. And the point is, David is a great warrior because the Lord is with him. Well, as David becomes greater, his influence gets greater. As God's spirit gives him wisdom, Saul gets jealous. Saul is seen grabbing spears, literally throwing them at David, trying to kill David. Well, David gets a little scared, as you can imagine. His best friend is Saul's son, Jonathan. So David goes to Jonathan and said, look, what is your dad's plans for me? So Jonathan goes and kind of finds out, has a toe-to-toe -to -toe with his dad, and he comes back. He's like, David, you got to get out of here, man. you got to run. My dad is going to kill you. So David takes off running, takes a few of his buds, and he ends up running to a foreign town. Now, he's hungry. He's famished. And he comes across the temple there. Now, there was no email, there's no FaceTime, no Facebook, there's no Instagram, there's no texting or cell phones. There's no way for this poor priest to know that the king is trying to kill the anointed next to be king. And so when he, David, the next appointed king, shows up at the temple, he's like, look, me and my peeps are hungry. And the priest is like, I don't have any food for you. And he's like, don't you have anything? And he's like, well, I've got the show bread, the bread of presence, only the priest was allowed to eat that bread. It was kind of like after it served its purpose, the bread was then taken and the priest could eat it. He's like, it's time for me to switch it out. Like, I got some. I guess you guys can eat it. You're like, what is the point of the story? Well, exactly. But Jesus gives reference to that story as to why his dudes are allowed to eat on the Sabbath. Moving on, you're like, well, you didn't help me any. All right, well, let me see if I can make it clear. In the same way, the David was the king to be at the appointed time, but the time had not yet come. Jesus is the appointed king to be. You see it? First, he had to live us in this life, suffer, die, and rise again. So in the same way that David had the right as future king to eat the showbread, Jesus has the right to lead on the Sabbath 
as king as well. And that last little phrase there, if you guys would go back on the slide to verse five, the son of man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Who created the Sabbath? God created the Sabbath. We see it first in Genesis one, but then we see it again in the 10 commandments and throughout the Old Testament laws in Deuteronomy and Leviticus, God created the Sabbath. So when Jesus says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. Do you get what he's claiming? This is no small deal. No prophet in their right mind would make that statement. Only a crazy person or somebody who really believed that they were God. Here's the thing. Jesus is, in fact, calling himself God. And that's huge. See, if you're visiting with us today and you're like, I don't get why this is a big deal, I'll, I'll keep going. I hope I can make that part clear to you. But I don't want you to walk away here with any misunderstandings about who Jesus is. Jesus claims about himself is that he is God. He is literally God or Lord over the religious day that God set aside and said, remember it and keep it holy. And the only one who can be God over that is God. Jesus is not just a good guy, a nice guy, a great religious organizer, a moral teacher. He is, by his own claim, God. But it leads us to a great question then. Why did God set up the Sabbath anyway? Like, what's the point of this thing then? Which is really good that Luke didn't stop a story there. Look at Luke chapter 6, verse 6. On another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and was teaching. And a man... <coughs> excuse me, was there whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew what they were thinking and he said to the man with the shriveled hand, get up and stand in front of everyone. So he got up and he stood there. Now a few things. Luke is setting the scene for us. Again, I've said this many times. Luke is great at saying a lot and a very little space. I'm great at saying very little and a lot of space. Aren't you glad you chose me? You could have sat at home and got more. But what Luke just did is he set the stage. So we were on one Sabbath, eh, now we're on another Sabbath. Now, we're sitting in this stage. When Matthew tells this story in, Luke, in Matthew chapter 12, I mean, he actually tells them as concurrent events. So we're not 100% sure. It's irrelevant. Luke is trying to let you know who is Lord of the Sabbath and what exactly that means. Because the Sabbath is a major, major deal for the Israelites. It is the marker besides circumcision that set them apart from the rest of the world. The rest of the world looked at these crazy Hebrews with all their eating laws and dietary laws and all that stuff and wonder what is up with these people. But the day they set aside for the Lord set them apart because why in the world would you take a day off? Now, just to give you an idea, this is a little bit weird and radical for us to, to understand, but that was not normal for most of ancient history. It is normal for us today. In fact, because there was so much Christian and Jewish influence on the founding of our nation, we have two-day weekends. But this was not the norm back then. But the Hebrew people would take Saturdays off. Well, how in the world could you take a Saturday off? Well, if God set it aside, then you can expect him to provide, and so they did. And God would build a system that said, we're going to just take one day off a week, so you can always remember, I am God, and I will take care of you. 
And now the Pharisees are setting up Jesus. Let's see if he'll break one of God's laws. But we have a man here whose hand is shriveled, and we don't know what it means. He could have been born in some form or fashion. He could have severely injured it or maybe got some infection. Something along the way has made this man's hand not work the way it was supposed to. Now, if Jesus reaches out with his hand and heals this man, is he breaking the Sabbath? That's the issue. The Pharisees are watching to see, will Jesus work? Luke 6, 9. Then Jesus said to them, notice he he asked the man to come up. He's got him standing there, but now he's talking to all the people trying to trick him. Then he said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? And your answer would be, well, to do good. Yeah, but see, you don't have their perspective. And in order to understand what Jesus is doing here, you have to get their perspective. And their perspective, in the Ten Commandments, God said, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. And many times in the Old Testament, he reaffirms that. If you keep my Sabbath holy, if you do these things, It's like a conditional covenant. If you do these things, I'll do these things. So which is better, for me to do good or for me to keep a Sabbath? Now, Matthew, when he tells this story, he actually expands on it in verses 11 and 12. And he says, look, if any of you has sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? In other words, of course you will. If one of your sheep falls in a hole, you're not going to go, ah, 13 hours, man, I got you. (laughs) Now that sheep, what would happen to it? Wolf, coyote, something come along. It's easy prey. Oh yeah, I'll eat that. So of course, you would understand that the, the right thing to do on that day would be to save your sheep. Not only that, but you wouldn't dare risk losing one of your sheep. That's how you eat and that's how you care for your family, right? And then Jesus goes on in Matthew 12, and he says, how much more valuable is a person than a sheep? And he says, therefore, it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. So come back. Jesus asks them this question that puts them on their heels. You want me to be something, but it's not the thing that God has asked me to be. It's the thing that you've made up for me to be. See, when we come to Jesus, we have to come to Jesus as he is and as he presents himself to be, not as we want him to be. Man, I wish I could toss out a number of Jesus' teachings because I don't like them. They're offensive to me. I wish he didn't say some of the things he said. I wish he didn't do some of the things he did because they're hard to explain. But Jesus is Jesus, and I can either accept him or leave him, but I can't just like him. And I love this next verse. Verse 10. He looked around at them all. That just stood out to me this week. What does that mean? He looked around at them like. He asked him, he asked him an annoying question. So which, which is better? To do good? To do nothing? You tell me. Awkward pause. And then he said to the man, this is beautiful. Stretch out your hand. He did so, and his hand was completely restored. And verse 11 tells us, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. 
What are you furious about? He healed a guy's hand, but it's Sabbath. But he didn't even lift a hand. Can you call it work if you don't do a thing? Like if you have a Roomba or whatever they call that thing, and it cleans the floor for you and your spouse comes home and is like, hey, baby, good job cleaning the floor. You're like, I worked hard all day on that. You can't say that, right? Jesus didn't do anything with his hands, but they were furious. Why were they furious? Because Jesus was challenging their authority. He was putting their power in question. See, if Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath and Jesus can do whatever he wants on the Sabbath and he doesn't follow their laws and their rules that they've made up that make them better than everybody else, the people are gonna start listening to Jesus and they're gonna stop listening to who? See, and this is the problem the Pharisees have and many of us still have it today. We come to Jesus with this prepackaged what we want him to be and when he doesn't fit in our little box and in our little bucket, we get frustrated. But the goal is not to get frustrated. The goal is surrender. The goal is to embrace who he is and accept it and say, what does that mean for me in light of who he is? Here's how you could summarize Jesus' teaching on the Sabbath. I'm gonna bring in a few extra gospel books, but it's here for you to see. You can look it up later. So in Luke 6, as well as other places, we learn that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. The Son of Man is the title that Jesus gives himself. It comes out of Daniel 7, where he talks about the Son of Man coming on the clouds, which has to do with judgment. It also has to do with how Jesus went back up in heaven. It's a whole story for another day, but you need to know that's the title he calls himself. When you see this in the Gospels, that's Jesus talking about himself. So he says, the Son of Man, me, myself, I am Lord of the Sabbath. Number two, we learn in verse nine of Luke six that Sabbath is helpful for acts of service. To ignore someone else's need on the Sabbath is evil. So this is huge. Think about this for a minute. When God set the Sabbath aside, it said, keep it holy. Part of the reason he did this is for us to be good and kind and generous to other people. To have a day in our lives, a margin in our lives, where we could actually do kindness on a day. And to not do it. If there's a good you know you ought to do and you do not do it, that that would be evil. Number three, and this comes out of John chapter five, verse 17. The father works even on the Sabbath, and so may the son. And therefore, so may you. But it's not just any work, it's God's work. In John chapter five, verse 17 and 18, Jesus says, in his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working for this reason, they tried all the more to kill Jesus. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. See, what Jesus teaches about the Sabbath, he eliminates all questions as to who he is. This is my day that I have set aside. Because Jesus is God. And then number four, number four, out of Mark chapter two, verse 27, Jesus says, the Sabbath is for man's benefit. In other words, he says, God made the Sabbath for man, not man for the Sabbath. And you're like, what does that mean? Well, in a nutshell, it's the answer to our question earlier. Why did God create the Sabbath? Your answer is this. God implemented the Sabbath to serve us, not to save us. 
See, when you look at those world religions, many of them, not all of them, many of them, probably far and away most of them, but I'm not an expert in 4,200 religions, all right? But probably far and away most of them are based on a system that says you be gooder than you were yesterday and you get closer to God. That's how we become right with God. We just keep getting better and better. We learn more over time. And as we get better and better, we get nearer and closer to God. And as that happens, we change and the world changes and the world becomes a better place. Except for the the gospel, the good news that Jesus came to bring us is that while you were still a sinner, while you were still broken, God came down out of heaven to meet with you, to be with you, to love you, to serve you, to lead you, to guide you, to save you, to redeem you. He didn't make you to be his workers. I was reading a great book on the Trinity called Delighting in the Trinity. And it's talking about the triune nature of God, that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And every once in a while in the different chapters, as it went through Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he would compare uh, the Godhead to some of the different world religions. I'm no expert, okay? But Islam teaches that Allah made you to do his work. That's the whole reason he made you. He had this beautiful world that he created, and he needed some work to get done. And he wasn't going to lift a finger to do it, so he made you to do the work. See, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible tells us that God is love. And because God is love, he wanted to share and give his love. So while he did make you for work, it was supposed to be work that revealed his love for you. It wasn't supposed to be tiring or exhausting or depleting or to burn you out. It was supposed to be something that made you come alive and feel fulfilled as if you were actually living out the image of God imprinted on your soul. It was always an act of love. God created Sabbath to serve us because once we sinned in the garden, he knew our propensity to always try to earn more and make more and be more and do more and have more and experience more. And he said, I need to protect my children from themselves. So he created a day and set it aside and said, I'm going to make sure that you always have enough in the tank. Are you with me? The power of that, the beauty of that. But it's bigger than that. In Matthew chapter 12, telling the exact same story that we just read in Luke, Matthew adds this little thing in verse six. I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. But what is so significant about that? The temple is the very place where God meets with man and woman. The temple is the place where we go to God and he comes to us and we can seek wisdom and forgiveness and mercy and healing and grace. Now the beauty of this, and again, this is like an hour in and of itself, so you're gonna get 30 seconds and it won't be enough. But the beauty of this is Jesus came to take the temple out of a building and move it into you. You are the temple of God, the dwelling place of God. 
the place where he lives. It takes up residence. It fills up your heart. It's in you when you come to faith in Jesus Christ. The whole reason we go into the waters of baptism and come up out of the waters of baptism is to represent this old life going away, this new life coming about, and the new life is represented in God now becoming us, becoming the temple for him. Something greater than the temple is here would have blown the Pharisees' minds. What could be greater than the temple? This is why it got tore down in 70 AD and has never been rebuilt. God doesn't want there to be any mistake about what he's doing. There is no longer a sacrifice, a work that you can do. The work, the sacrifice has already been done. This is why Paul builds on this. In Colossians 2, verse 16, he says this, therefore, do not let anybody judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, a Sabbath day. Do you see it? These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. See, what Paul is saying is all these things in the Old Testament, all the sacrifices of the lambs, all the do's and the don'ts, the religious holidays, the new moon festivals, and the weekly Sabbath, all of it was to point you right there. Right there. Because there you will find everything you need for life. Everything you need. So one of our rules about men's group uh, is Whatever happens in men's group stays in men's group. It's a little bit like Vegas, except for we don't go to Vegas. But one day, uh, one of my friends was just processing life. And he said, you know, I feel like I'm failing as a father. I feel like I'm failing as a husband. I feel like I'm failing as an employee, not giving my best. And, you know, sometimes it's hard to discern the voice of God and the, devo- the voice of your enemy, the accuser, who wants to tell you that you're failing in every possible way, amen? But one of the ways that we can discern those is this. See, God is good, What makes Jesus unique and different than every other religion of the world is that he reveals to us just how good God is. That God sets aside a day to protect you from you. He sets aside a day to give you margin to be good and kind to others. And he broke all the rules and the laws of the day. What I said to my friend is this, you could count on God to be the best leader you've ever had. Because if you're being a sluggard, he will kick you in the pants. And if you are overworking, he'll tell you to go home, be with your family. And if you're putting too much time into your hobbies, he will rebuke you and say, pour into your spouse. And if you've been avoiding him and reading everything else except for whatever draws you closer to him, he will say gently and kindly, stop. And if you've been obsessing about the fact that you don't know enough and you haven't grown enough and you've been doing this, you need to know more and do more, he'll be the first one to say, stop. And if you are being selfish in your time, he'll be the first one to say, give more of yourself to others. And if you are pouring yourself out to the brink of having nothing left, he'll be the first one to say, stop giving so much. He never intends for you to go outside of his plan for your life. And if you are finding yourself depleted and worn out and exhausted, it might be that you need to come back to Sabbath. And remember, just how good God is. So here's three very annoying questions for you to ask yourself today. You ready? If God created the Sabbath to serve me, 
Am I setting a day aside to rest? Let me clarify. Am I weekly setting a day aside to rest? I don't care if you call it Saturday. I don't care if you call it Sunday. Are you setting aside a day for your body, your heart, your mind, your soul to recover? If you are not, and you think you know better than God, watch out. Annoying question number two. I should have put these up there. Annoying questions that Matt wants to ask. If God created the Sabbath so that I would have a weekly day of worship built into my life, am I worshiping God weekly? See, I know, studies tell me that the majority of you will visit a church roughly 20% of the time. On average, once every four to six weeks. But God built it from the beginning, before the law, before sin, so that you would have one day weekly that you would set aside to simply worship him. Why do we worship? Well, number one, because he's worthy. But number two, because he loves you. He wants to refresh you. He wants to replenish you. You know what? Every sermon I teach won't be a home run. I mean, be a triple, but it won't be a home run. I'm kidding. Every sermon I teach won't necessarily be a lesson that you need that day or that week, but it might be one day, or it might be for somebody else. Many times when I go to my quiet time with God, I'll read something and be like, okay, cool, good to know. And then later that day, and later that day, and then later the next day, and the day after that, it's like, I'll use that verse all week long. It's like, okay, God, thank you for humbling me again and getting me out of my arrogance. Your life is like that on Sundays. We show up because God is worthy, but we also show up because he loves you and he wants a relationship with you. And in case you don't know this little secret, it's hard to have a relationship with somebody you don't spend time with. Annoying question number three, if I haven't irritated you enough yet. If God created the Sabbath so that I would have freedom in my schedule to do good things for others, am I using my time to do good things for others? Or is all of my margin spent on me and my hobbies and my fun and my sports, my kids' activities, or whatever it is that consumes your time? Because if you don't do that, Jesus just told us it was evil to know good that ought to be done and do absolutely nothing about it. But here's the real home run moment for you. See, some of you out there, you're still not sure what to think of Jesus, and I get it. Take every moment you need to wrestle with who God is, but do not take one moment longer than you need because Jesus is offering this, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. A yoke was a tool that we don't use a lot today, but they would tether two animals together to plow their fields. Kind of like a figure eight type thing, and you put it over the head of one, and they did it in different ways but they would often put a stronger animal with a little bit of a weaker animal. And he would lead the bigger one. And Jesus is saying, look, come to me, tether yourself to me, and I will lead. You could follow me. But look, the yoke that I'm putting on you, it won't be heavy. 
It won't crush you. It won't burn you out. It won't leave you with nothing left. If you come to me, you will find all that you need. Why? Because the Sabbath is a shadow of Jesus Christ. And he is good. And you can trust him. What I want to do is pray over you right now. A blessing that God would use this message to encourage those who need encouraged and convict those who need convicted. That you might walk out of here tasting and seeing and knowing that the Lord is good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for being such a good God to us. Thank you for giving us a Sabbath to slow down our hearts and our lives to just be and to worship and to rest. God, there are some in this room who are burned out. They're trying to fix everything. They're trying to control everything. They're trying to make more money. They're trying to do everything that this life has to offer, and they're tired. God, I pray that you would give them conviction to slow down. God, give them the wisdom to say no to good things, that they might have the energy and the margin to say yes to greater things. God, we thank you for being so good to us. I pray this message reveals your goodness to those who are far from you. God, call them to yourself now. May they hear your voice and may they respond. We ask all this in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. Amen, amen, amen. What a great day to worship and hear God's word. Can you give God some praise this morning? Again, what a way to connect. What a way to have opportunity. Uh, and if you are in a place where you need that conversation, we're gonna create an opportunity for you here shortly. Uh, a couple of things that we wanna make you aware of is this. One, uh, in today's generation, the best way for us to fuel ministry is through our giving. It's an opportunity for you to reach those that you would normally have a chance to reach. What's also interesting is we learn real easily that, that giving is, is difficult. It's one of those things that's the last thing that we let go of to God. Why? Because it's one of the easiest things that we grip, we hold on to. Why? Because we enjoy our stuff. We enjoy our money. We enjoy our things. But at the end of the day, God calls us to be generous, to give when even there's no opportunity or understanding. And I've got all kinds of stories of watching God do crazy things through the littlest things. But I wanna encourage you guys with this, is that being a part of uh, what we do is not always just about uh, uh, coming and showing up and being a part of, of what's happening. To fuel this, to fuel what God is doing, to watch people be reached to the ends of the earth, to see life change happen in the young lives of our children and our teenagers, to watch your faces in here and to see and to know that God is doing great things. It requires all of us together to partner together. It's not just about a few individuals, it's about us being the church. So if you, have, if you came in today and you're ready to give, there's opportunities for that. All around the room there are, are boxes as you leave uh, that you can place uh, those offerings in. Uh, if this is something that you're still struggling or questioning, come talk to us. Let us reveal to you what it's like to feel and to live generously. We always wanna to get to that place. I always have a conversation where you, know, you wanna be that person that when somebody comes to you in need, guess what the church is? It's a place that helps those in need. 
It's an awesome opportunity not only to use and to, and to fuel, but to share the love of Jesus Christ at the same time. On top of that, we have a chance for you guys. Today, um, we have, we're gonna have our Connect team down front. So if Matt's talking about those things, those burdens, if you're still trying to figure out your schedule, if you're still trying to work through things so that you can spend more intentional time with God, I'm gonna encourage you guys, after we pray, to come down and talk with somebody at a, uh, uh, that's a part of our Connect team uh, and to try to start working through what it looks like to make God a priority in your life. Let's pray and then we'll get dismissed. God, thank you for a chance. Thank you for a chance to give. And, and, and man, I know that sometimes in the church, it can come across as all we do is ask for money, but that's not the point. God, it's a heart condition. Just like you showed us in scripture with the rich young man and how it's the last thing that he was holding on to, but he walked away sad. God, I pray today, we're not walking away sad. We're not walking away grip tight to what we have. We give because you gave. We love because you loved. God, today, today is yours. You are Lord. You're not a liar. You're not crazy. You're a savior. And it's in your name that we pray. Everyone says, amen. We love you. Have a wonderful day.